0: Um, we've been talking here at Grassroots for the last many weeks about prayer. And my hope, that, uh, my hope is that after preaching on prayer for, for many, many weeks, so I've, I've been in it for, I don't know now, nine weeks, and who knows how many more there'll be. We'll see where that, this goes. Uh, my hope is that by the end of this long series on prayer, that you as a, as a person, as an individual, could be able to say, because I was there, because I was listening to the sermons, because I was engaging, my prayer life is just a little richer. Or if there's, if you have no prayer life at all, which, which can happen... Um, maybe your prayer life has just begun or it's just sparked to get going. Or maybe you've been praying for years and years and years and have hit a roadblock that you could say, for the first time in many, many years, my prayer life has opened up. My hope is that as a community, the individuals would develop even more in their own prayer life. But then as we come together as a church, that we would develop as a community of prayers, that we understand that whatever we do, whatever hope we have of making a a, difference in this world, that it's all based upon our dependency on God. He's our leader. He's our foundation. He's everything to us. And, and our greatest work, our greatest activity as a community must be in bowing before, before him and praying. So I would hope that we would grow as a community of prayers. I've had a kind of a storied prayer life myself. It's, it's been a, um, a, a kind of a peak and valley kind of movement. There are times in which my prayer life has been super rich and I can't but pray in my life. And then there are times that I go long stretches where I've got the answer and where I have the strength and where I have the right perspective and enough brains to make it through and do what I think God wants me to do. And so uh, there was a season of, of life where I was discerning how to move from being a student into working Uh, getting it wasn't my first job but I was entering into the the work environment for the first time and I remember thinking I had this opportunity before me which I kind of preempted I I I stirred the pot a little bit I I got a hold of a a director of a non-for-profit organization Um, and I knew them a little bit and I wanted to maybe work for them and so it was it wasn't one of those instances where the future kind of reveals itself right before your eyes and aren't those moments nice? Those few and far between moments where life is crystal clear. This was not one of those moments where I was going, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do next? And I remember spending a whole day in prayer. I set aside a whole day. I was, I was living in Scotland at the time. We were living in this drafty old house. It was raining. It was cold. And the sun wasn't shining. Um, and... Uh, my daughter was my daughter was off at school, and up in her bedroom uh, in the house, I was I had set that side uh, places aside for prayer. I was going to spend the whole day in there. It was going to be my little hermitage hut where I was going to discern the will of the Lord. And so I started praying. God, um, would you would you reveal to me what you want me to do next? And I started by just worshiping, spending some time telling Him who I thought He was, uh, praising Him. Maybe an hour or two of just that, and then I after that entered into a time of trying to say, God, can I hear your voice? Can I actually hear you telling me something that I would never tell myself? And I, nothing happened. And I couldn't, no, no, no response. Uh, and so I started opening the scriptures. I read a little bit. And then a big flock of birds came by past the window, and whoa, it hit me. Like, I, I was like, wow, like, that was interesting and cool. And so I opened my, my, my eyes to that. I'm like, well, there's something there. And then I started praying, God, I, I'm not getting much from you, and so tell me, just tell me what to do. And I, I, I was, I was um, should, should I get this job that I've been offered or not? So I lifted my eyes, and the first thing I saw was a snake, an image of a snake. And it was printed on one of my daughter's toys. Well, my, my mom at some point had made this little thing that opened. It's like a book. And inside were little felt dolls that you could dress up. and do It was one of my daughters. And, I, and it was printed on the front. I'm like, why would my mom put this image of a snake on my daughter's doll book? <laughs> so I went over and I picked it up. And I was like, oh, it's upside down. And so I turned it upside down. And it was a little girl holding a bunny. That was the actual image. And I'm like, I was drawn to this experience. Like, what in the world is this about? I had no idea. I couldn't make sense of it at the time. So I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to go for this, and you're going to have to stop me if it's not it. So I went for it. He didn't stop me. And I went to this place and worked for, for an organization. And the leader of the organization was and receptive to me. And such like a, a little girl holding a bunny. <laughs> I was like, oh, like it's going to be a warm, positive experience. Well, three months later, like it all flipped on its head. And this person ended up being kind of venomous, (sighs) some fangs, (laughs) not, not, not the greatest person to work for. And that ended that, that ended in a, like a flop. I, I left that group about a year afterwards and it was just one of those experiences like I moved across the world with a sense that you were going to be with me. And it turned out to be a flop. It turned out to be, oh, it turned out to be something that at the one angle looked like a girl holding a bunny, and at the other angle looked like a venomous, you, oh, you were speaking to me. <laughs> he was there. He was, And I didn't know at the time, only in retrospect did I get the point. Um, and do I think I should have done that? Yes. I think that that was the right move. It was the right place to go. It didn't work out. But if you follow the chain of events, some good things happened. And, it's, and, and without that experience, I don't know if I would have landed here at, at grassroots. So, amen. I mean, this is, this, is, uh, this is the way God works in long, mysterious ways. And um, in the next two weeks, now and, and next week, because I have some, some thoughts to share about prayer which are difficult. They're hard thoughts because the life of prayer is not easy. I have some thoughts to share that are going to take me two weeks to share them. So I'm going to begin today. and You'll feel that it's just going to get going by the time I'm done today. And it's going to maybe just stop abruptly. Hopefully it's not too abrupt. But I've got some thoughts I want to share about if prayer matters. Does prayer work? Can we put it that way? Why why should we even pray? I mean, so far we've been talking about um, building the attitudes and the desires for praying. Because, listen, I, can, I haven't gotten into the, the, the methods of praying yet. I haven't schooled you like I plan on doing in the Lord's Prayer and the different prayer um, traditions that, that teach us how to pray. I haven't done that because you can know all the right words, and you can know all the right ways to pray, but you can not have the desire to pray. You might not even want to, and you might even enter into it with the wrong attitude. And if you do that, it, it's game over. It doesn't work. You can, you can just get frustrated and stuck. So I've been spending the last many weeks talking about this initial, these desires, these attitudes of prayer. And the way that it works like this, if I can put it in and sum it up very carefully, is this. We need to enter in with the attitude of a beggar who understands that they're approaching a powerful king a difficult, a difficult attitude to come with because oftentimes we don't see ourselves as beggars, as completely in need, uh, completely impoverished and in need of, of anything that the, the Lord would give us. We see ourselves as capable and competent. Well, we are, we are smart and we're, we're, we're good and God loves us and all of that. But at the end of the day, we are so desperately in need of him. And if we don't have that planted deeply in our mindset, prayer is not going to work. But also we have to understand that he's a powerful king. And I don't know how many of you are powerful people, how many of you are rich or famous or powerful, um, but if you are, you'll know that you can't just be approached any old way. Someone's going to come up to you and they're going to say, "Well, I demand this from you," and you're going to give it to me. A person who's powerful and rich and famous knows that's not how that works. And we have to also come with the mindset that we are not entitled to what God has, uh, to what we want from God. It's 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 like a cross. Crossways, counterintuitive approach. It's like a hidden doorway into the heart of God. We have to, as beggars, aware that he's a powerful king without entitlement. And if we can do that, if we can enter into that posture, we will enter into a doorway in in which the very heart of God exists. But once we enter in, we encounter a few obstacles, big ones. Big obstacles that require us to get over them. And they're not easy, and they, they have to deal with Um, These questions about does prayer even matter? Does it even work? So, I'm going to get into that today before we enter in three weeks' time into our Christmas series. So, today and next week, I don't know where I'm at. I just kind of went off today. There we are. Beggar attitude, right attitude, knowing our poverty. Uh, And this leads us to simple praying whatever's on your heart, get it out. There's no right words pray often for many things. This is the attitude of a beggar in praying. And then come the big hurdles. Does prayer really change anything? Are we that significant to be heard? Can God change his mind? And to get over these hurdles, to get past them, we need Jesus and his example of praying. And we need the Psalms to teach us how to get over these big questions. And so we'll get into that in the next coming weeks. So we're going to start today this whole entering into this question about the big hurdles with Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is the first of Book 5. I think you might know if you spent a lot of time in the Psalms that there are five chunks of material in the Psalms. The the Psalms are in the Old Testament. They're the, the prayer book of the Jewish people and they were written over the course of hundreds of years by people who had encounters with God. And they're the great prayers of our Western society. And, and even if you can't bring yourself to believe in a God of the universe, the, the Psalms are the, some of the greatest poetry, expressing and laying bare the human experience and our emotions so beautifully. So they're worth getting into. And there's five chunks of them, five books, so to speak. And this is the first of book five. Anytime you get a first of a book, you have to pay attention because it's trying to tell you that it's going to sum up a lot of the thoughts of the coming Psalms. There's, at some point, someone collected these and put them together, and it's even in their collection that God has inspired the Bible. So the first of the five books, what the psalm is going to give you is four situations um, that represent answers to prayer. Sorry, just didn't complete my sentence. They're going to represent how prayers matter, uh, and they're going to try to convince you that prayer changes things. So four situations they're going to bring before our mind. Uh, it, It begins like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the drumbeat of a person who has been convinced that the God of the universe is marked and characterized by steadfast love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And if you have ears to hear this psalm, if you get into the, the rhythm of it, there's four directions, north, east, south, west, and they're going to represent four experiences of people going through hell on earth. Okay? So they're lost. first one is lost and starving in the desert. The next one is in jail for their crimes. The next one is sick from addictions. And then the last one is at wit's end on a stormy journey. They're on the ocean, and they're going go, to be sunk. And they get desperate. And the whole psalm, and I'll I'll read the psalm to you here in a second. The whole psalm hinges on a pattern. And if we get the structure and the pattern and the rhythm down, we'll get the point of it. Uh, People in life get desperate. They go through situations that are desperate. I don't know if you've ever gone through a situation where you thought you were desperate. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. This might be the end of me. this is a psalm for you. Uh, And then they, they get desperate, and then they cry out to God. They pray. They give prayer a chance. And then God saves them. But only after they've prayed. So that's the rhythm. So here we go. You ready? Psalm 107. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Can you get the picture? The person's in the desert. They can't find a town. They got out know water or food, and their soul is wasting away. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That's going to be the chorus that you hear over and over again. Then they cried to the Lord. That's the hinge. They decided to give prayer a chance in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. They were lost, they had no compass, they were going to die. They prayed, and miracle of miracles, they stumbled across civilization. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Okay, a real life example that maybe some of you have been in. I don't know, I've never been in that quite of a situation in the bush. But pay attention. These are, these are types. These are types of uh, experiences that are, are like windows into a mystery. He satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. What do you thirst for? What are you hungry for? This is not just about people in the desert. This is about every human being. If you're thirsty or you're hungry, he's going to fill you. Okay, second one. Some sat in darkness and in gloom prisoners in misery and in irons. They're in jail. For they had rebelled against the words of God. They had committed a crime and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor. They fell down with no one to help. They were in distress, in jail. And then they gave prayer a chance. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wonderful works to humankind. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. I would say that any person who's ever been addicted to any substance or any activity or anything in their life can say amen to this. He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. What are the the things about your life that just feel like you're stuck, you can't change? Someone has shackled you or you've shackled yourself and you can't get out. The Lord of the universe shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Okay, third one. Some were sick through their sinful ways. This might be um, addiction itself. They were sick through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. They're They're in the hospital because of some addiction in their life that they couldn't get out of, and they're close to the gates of death. And then, what did they do? They gave prayer a chance. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destruction. Here comes the chorus. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, and let them offer thanksgiving, sacrifices, and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. All right, one more. You ready? This is a good one. This is the last one. I like this one. Some went down to the sea in ships doing their business on mighty waters. They're sailors of of the Mediterranean. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. These guys are going to come back with a tale to tell. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They billowed. They mounted up to heaven on the waves. It was so high. And then they went down to the depths like a roller coaster, almost touching the sea floor. That's how churned the ocean was. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Imagine someone in that scenario. Like, this is it. It's all over. Then they gave prayer a chance. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. I don't know if you have lived through storms in your life, if you felt like you were just, it's going to be all over because it's so tumultuous. All of a sudden, you gave prayer a chance, and your life stilled. And you were glad because you had quiet, and they brought you to the place you where you're trying to get to. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. There's the chorus again. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. They're going to have a prayer to tell. And the psalm ends like this. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. here's a little wink of the eye of the psalmist. This is a wisdom psalm. This is a psalm that's trying to get us to pay attention to something wise. If we think that we've got it figured out and prayer isn't woven into our life like it was in the person in distress, um, then we've got to reconsider how we understand what life is about and how we get through life and how... Uh, life works. This is a wisdom psalm. And here's the thing that I wanted to address this morning especially, and some of the next week too, that we live in, a, in an age that's marked by cynicism and skepticism. It teaches us, just by being part of the world that we live in, it teaches us to ask questions like, does it really matter anyway? Can't I just get on on, on my own anyway? Um, and we stand in attention here because what happens is um, when we do that, when we start giving in to cynicism and skepticism about prayer and God's presence in our life, what happens is, is we start to adopt very old ways of thinking and we think they're new. We think that we're the ones who first encountered them. And it goes like this if we're not comfortable with how God has acted in our life, if we think we're a little bit uncomfortable with how he's decided to go about his business. We can do one of two things. We can try to understand his ways, understand his wisdom, give ourselves over to him. Or we can say to ourselves, well, maybe God's not even that close. Maybe he's not hearing me. Maybe he's far away. Maybe he lives on Saturn and has nothing to do with Earth. Maybe, maybe he's like someone who's made this world and stepped back and let it go on its own. And, and these are worldviews. These are Worldviews that aren't new—they're they're as old as Jesus and older. Um, you, you go back to the ancient world and you find the uh, variations on these themes about where God is in the world. And some of them have to say that God is like this um, clockworker; he's far off, and our job is simply to get on with our business without any thought of him. He's not going to—he's not going to intervene. And some think, well, maybe even the gods, if there are more than than one, perhaps maybe that maybe that. They didn't even create this place. It just sort of happened, and they're off in paradise somewhere having a party. They don't care about us. Or, or maybe, maybe the, the variation of the theme, you go in a different direction. You say, well, if, because God hasn't worked out in the way that I thought he was supposed to work out, maybe it's like everything is God. This is a worldview, an ancient worldview, which says that the whole world is permeated with God. He's not like a human being. He's just like a, a power, an energy, which sustains and is part of everything. And all of these worldviews, one by one, give way to this thought that God doesn't care. He's not here with me. He's not close. And oftentimes, we we live in a day and age where the options to start believing these things are very, uh, very close to us. There are many people around us that believe these things. There are many people that have given their lives over to these worldviews. And it's very difficult in the pain of life not to go there. And the challenge is, is this... um, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and if we've grown up with wrong views of God and wrong views of prayer, that somehow we're entitled to whatever we ask for, some, that, that God has to say yes to everything that we ask for, if we come in with, without an awareness of our poverty, we see this happening around us, and we're like, well, maybe, maybe God doesn't exist at all, or maybe he doesn't care. So cynicism and skepticism and the different worldviews, they're options. But many writers have helped us understand something of of the Christian world. Because if you flirt with these ideas, they're not new. And Christianity and and faith and religion has persisted through all of these questions. Um, They talk about three different places to be. The first, naivete. Naivete is a word, you, you know, it's not a nice thing to say, you're naive. You know, that means you don't get it. You don't, you're not into it. First naivete is like being a kid. You know, it's like we're childish. We have childish thoughts, childish behaviors, and we think that everything revolves around us. And so many people, so many Christians grow up thinking that that's just the way this all works. Be a child, which also means be childish in your, in your response to God. And then what happens is they make a second move. They go, you know, I've tried praying. I've tried, you know, asking God for help. I've, it didn't work. It didn't work. Things got painful in my life. And so now I'm enlightened. I've moved out of the fact that it, prayer doesn't work in the first naivete. But they think that that's the destination. They think they've been enlightened. They've moved on. They've, 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 um, their, their life is now um, more sophisticated than it was. But there's one more move. There's another move in the life of faith. And it's into a second naivete. And this is not a move of ignorance. This is not shut your brain off and... Uh, you know check it at the door as you come into church no this is this is be the smart and rational and intelligent and wise human being that you are but recognize that the way god works requires us to be like a child in our complete openness and our dependence upon him so we move we make these journeys from childishness to enlightenment The child likeness, and that's that's what I'm trying to illustrate. Um, When it comes to asking, does prayer work and does prayer matter? We have to make these movements from first naivete. Of course, it works. Like God is so lucky to have me. And guess what? Like here, God, I I want, I want the world, and God's like, gonna just okay, whatever you want. And we know that doesn't work. We grow up out of that. We that's immature. And we move through enlightenment, and we get stuck sometimes in the deep hard questions of, does it really matter with cynicism and skepticism? But then we move. We move into a third realm, into a third space in which we once again understand that God is close. And the scriptures teach us this. And the psalm that I read to you just now, the wisdom psalm, which is trying to help you make sense of reality, is telling you that. You're going to go through things that are like hell on earth. And... Go through them, and you're going to be at the brink. Give prayer a chance. It matters. God will deliver us from distress. Now, it's it's, it's not complex, but it's not straightforward either as we go forward. I like one author put it like this. As we start adopting other worldviews, God makes us nervous when he gets too close. We don't want a physical dependence upon Him. It feels hokey, like we're trying to control God. That's moving out of childishness. Yeah, if I pray, I'm dependent upon God. Doesn't that feel like something that is childish? But deep down, we just don't like grace. We don't want to risk our prayer not being answered. We prefer the safety of isolation to engaging the living God. We don't want to admit that we need help, we don't want to be in need of one another. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable to God. But when you open the Bible, when you open the Scriptures, emphatically it answers the question, prayer does matter. We're not, asking, we're not, we're not saying that you should be childish and you're praying, but, but prayer does matter. There's tons of biblical examples. King Hezekiah was going he to, he, he had reached his death day, he prayed and God said, okay, I've changed my mind, I'm going to give you 14 more years. Um, Moses on Sinai, God was going to wipe out uh, hundreds of people for their idolatry, but God pray, or Moses prays and changes God's mind. Nineveh, uh, it's the story of Nineveh, where God was going to come and um, there's going to be justice upon the Ninevite people, but, but because they repented, because they softened their hearts and turned their hearts to God, he changes his mind. There's plenty of examples about that. There's plenty exa- examples about prayer mattering. I love the teaching in James 5, the prayer of a righteous man or woman has great power in its effects. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth brought it forth its fruit. Over and over again the scriptures tell us that prayer doesn't matter. And here's how it works. I know th- this is where we start to ask the big questions. So, does God care about my parking spot that I want? Does he care about, um, you know, the little trivial things in my life? And if so, if you're telling me just to sort of pray always, um, what, why, did, why wouldn't he have answered the, the people who are praying that the wildfires of California not devastate their homes? I mean, these are big questions, right? And, and, and they're good questions, and we shouldn't just ignore them. They're questions that drive us deeper into the God's character and into his heart. And the only way through, the only way over this obstacle... Into the heart, into the school of prayer, into the heart of God, is to understand that God has created this world and us in it as a partnership. I'm just going to pause because this this is this is the key here. He's created the world in a partnership. He he created the heavens and the earth, and he could have been done with it, but he's made it in such a way that. Artists and business people, leaders and peasants and farmers have for for at least 6,000 years have helped to finish off the work. And it's not done yet. Creation is still being completed because of the way that God puts us in partnership with him. And not just that he puts us in partnership with him, but he also acts with restraint. I've given you this message before. God is going to come only as far as a certain amount of space before it's our job to lift our finger back. He, 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 he deals with extreme constraint. And, and here's what I want to say. You may remember a story in the New Testament where there was a little boy who was possessed by Satan, by a demon. And he was convulsing around and rolling and trying to cast himself into the fire. He was trying to just end his life. And it wasn't the boy, it was the demon inside of him that was making him do it. That's what happens when evil comes in and makes a partnership with humanity. It takes away to humanity, it possesses them and controls them and makes them do whatever it wants to do. But think about the difference, the way that the God of the universe enters in. He enters into us, and what does he ask? Don't grieve me. Don't make me sad. The God of the universe, all he wants from us is not to make him sad. I love this this quote is helping us get in further. Words fail to capture the enormity of a descent of a, when a sovereign god takes up residence in a person and says in effect, don't hurt me, don't push me away. The poet John Dunn prayed, batter my heart, three-person god. You imagine that prayer. God, I want you and your three persons to just gang up on me and batter me into submission. That's that's an that's an honest prayer. But God rarely does. God woos and waits. He shows amazing constraint when we're lost in the desert and when we're on oceans that are about to sink our ships and when we are suffering because of our own sin. He shows amazing constraint in the the world um, as he partners with us to try to make it a better place. I don't know if I have put this quote here. The partnership—no, I haven't—the partnership bond is so tight that it becomes hard to distinguish who's doing what, God or the human partner. God has come that close. It's within this keyhole, friends, that we find why prayer matters. He's given us tools and the power and the ability to partner with Him. And prayer, praying for His will on earth to be done, praying for a hundred things, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense? And we'll get into this next week. What about unanswered prayers, Keith? What about the prayers that I prayed on my knees when I was at the most desperate spot and all that happened to me was that my life got shipwrecked? What about those prayers? He didn't deliver me. Uh, Sorry, 1143. I'm going to go into this next week. I don't have time for this today. Um, But the keyhole here is this, that um, the partnership is so tight that sometimes it's not clear who's doing the work of new creation and building his kingdom? And sometimes it's clearly him, and other times he constrains himself. And He's waiting for us, waiting for us to join in and join our prayers to the task. I've got a, a, this, this book by on prayer. Does it any make a difference? I would recommend this book. If you're looking for a book on these questions, I'm going to read a, a chunk next week. Um, But what I'll share from the book, just one little thing before I close. He tells stories of great movements in our world, the resistance against apartheid in South Africa, resistance against um, many, many different types of powerful regimes, and the freedom fighters, the people who were at the front lines. He tells the story of Mother Teresa at the front lines of the evils of the world that require us to give ourselves out and to serve. The greatest people on the front lines couldn't have done it, and they'll tell you so. They couldn't have done it without praying, without a prayer life and the rhythms in their life. And they say that basically it's like this. When I pray, coincidences happen. I don't, my, my prayers don't always get answered, but when I pray, coincidences in my life happen. And when I don't, they don't. And we'll get into that next time. So friends, I'm going to invite us now to turn our attention to the table. Um, Jesus reminds us and teaches us that every time that we gather together to worship him, we come to the table, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and remind ourselves that on the cross, he prayerfully, full of prayer, bore our burdens and freed us from the, slave, the slavery, from the power of sin and death. And so we come to the table every week to keep free or for the first time perhaps to submit ourselves to God. There's two more songs that that we'll we'll sing, and this is like a little mini uh, cathedral that we're in almost, a space that's designed that each one of us does the work of drawing closer to God. If you're far from God, if you haven't talked to him a lot, this is the perfect chance for you to come and say, God, I don't know you, I haven't wanted you, but I kind of do. I want to want you. That's a good prayer the time to dip that in and sing and try to give that message to God. If he's, if he's convicting you of something that you need to get rid of in your life or if he's saying, finally, just cry out to me. I'm waiting for you. This is the perfect time to begin that work. If he's saying to you this, this morning, um, I just want you to keep going. You might, might feel like you can't. Take a, take a piece of bread, dip it in and give him that message. God, I take you in once again. The grand message of this whole table is that in our distress, God enters in and frees us. So come and experience that this morning, friends, once again. The table is set, and everyone here is welcome.